0: Welcome to the Karis Christian Center Podcast. So I'll be continuing my series tonight, and um, it's called, the series is called Welcome to the Promised Land. Um, our creative director, he, uh, I guess I didn't put it up, he, he edited this background a little bit and uh, he, put, he made it look like Lord of the Rings, like the characters from Lord of the Rings were on their horses coming here to the Promised Land. It's kind of funny. Maybe next week we could put that up. Uh, Kevin Carroll did that. He's very creative. It's good to have a sense of humor. Yeah. If you lose your sense of humor, you've lost a lot. Some of you have never had it to begin with, and you better <laughs> pray that it might be found. But uh, anyways, tonight I'll be talking about the promise of provision. I, I've uh, talked about eternal life and talked about authority, but I'm going to kind of focus in on provision and how God just really provided for the Israelites as they entered the promised land, as they left Egypt even. And um, and the first thing that that God just put on my heart actually really kind of resonates with um, the testimony that Michelle, uh, our worship leader, was saying. Um, She is saying what really helped set her free for her to really enter the promised land was knowing how much God loved her. And that's exactly what God was speaking to me um, this morning as I was going over my notes um, God just said, you, you need to realize that God loves you to enter the promised land. That, that was um, actually a deciding factor between um, Joseph and Caleb, the two spies who had a good report versus all that had a bad report and versus everyone who followed those who had a bad report. They, they knew that God delighted in them. You know, in Numbers 14, verse 8, um, after, you know, the, Joshua and Caleb gave their good report, then the, the, the ten other spies gave their bad report. They said that, you know, there's giants in the land. We're, we are like grasshoppers and we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. We need to turn back, go back to Egypt. Everyone's ripping their clothes off, crying, wailing, saying, you know, our, our children are going to be victims, you know, as they enter the promised land. And, and we just need to go back while we still can to Egypt. And, um, and uh, I love, I love what they said um, what Joshua and Caleb said in Numbers 14, verse 8. You can turn there if you'd like. We'll read several verses around there. But they said, if the Lord delights in us. They knew that God really loved them. And it wasn't like God was just okay with them. They they believed that God delighted in them. And they they said, if God delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk milk. And honey, to enter the promised land, you have to know that God delights in you, that God is crazy about you, that he's not mad at you, he's not upset with you, he's not out to punish you, he's not out to steal, kill, destroy, he, he's actually really, really, really crazy about you. And um, I was thinking in the scripture in Zephaniah 3, verse 17, it says, the Lord your God in your midst. I love I love, um, just... The, the worship that happens here at our church, because I always sense God's presence here in this house when we worship Him. And I just felt that God's presence is here in our midst. So this says if the Lord is in your midst, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, he will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. That means God, God, when He thinks about you, He's glad. It says he will quiet you with his love. That's talking about his peace, his love for you, and he will rejoice over you. It's singing the Hebrew word there. It's kind of hard to translate, but but it, it literally means to just spin around, and and just be crazy about some something, just be so excited you're just going to spin around. And uh, that's that's how how much God delights in you, when he's in your presence. He, he wants to save you. He wants to. He's joyful. He's glad about you. He has his love there for you, but he just he's so crazy about you, he spins around. And um, man, you have to to, to, to really enter the promised land. You have to understand that God delights in you. That's That was really the, the difference between Joshua and Caleb and everyone else. They understood that God delighted in them. Amen? And uh, let's look here at Numbers 14. We'll, we'll start in verse 1. I want to Um, dive into this a little bit more. So we'll start here in verse 1. This is right after um, the, the bad report. CNN gave their report for the day. And NBC and even Fox News and, you know, the whole herd of them. I can't even watch conservative news because it's generally pretty negative. Just negative and and, and people just try to, try to get extreme emotional reactions from people to get more likes, more clicks, more ads, more purchases, more money. And um, it's better just to tune all that out and to listen to the Holy Spirit. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. This is after the bad report. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died. In the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, better be careful for what you wish for. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? And that word victim just really struck me there. And uh, man, this is my first point tonight, but your mindset determines your direction, these people had a major, major, major victim mentality. God was bringing them into the promised land. He had great opportunities in store for them, but, but they had this major block in their mentality. They, they're blocking their mentality towards God, towards themselves, toward, uh, towards leadership. And it, it really determined their direction. And, and, and a victim mentality will always take you in the wrong direction. I'm not saying that, that people haven't been hurt, people haven't dealt with things, but, but dwelling in that will, and, and, and identifying with that will always take you in the wrong direction. And, and these people had been hurt. They had been slaves. They had been raised by slaves for centuries. God was trying to do something new, but, but they had a major victim mentality, a victim. Ve- so th- these are a few points about a victim mentality. Generally, I'm going to share positive things, but I just want to give you six points on a victim mentality. Of, number one, a victim mentality will always take you in the wrong direction, period. And if a group of people identify with a victim thing, it's going to take you in the wrong direction, guaranteed. Things will not get better. They will get worse. Number two, a victim mentality, even when presented with great opportunity, Someone with a victim mentality will run away from it. Uh, I always, this is one of my favorite Winston Churchill quotes, but he said, a a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. I kind of tweaked it, but I said, a victim will find the difficulty in every opportunity, and a victor will find the opportunity in every difficulty. Uh, Number three, a victim mentality constantly, constantly complains. Everyone will complain at some point in their life, maybe today. But but if if you have a victim mentality, the Holy Spirit will actually speak to you and kind of get you off that track before you go too far down that road. Does that happen to you? That happens to me almost on a daily basis. I need to complain less. But a victim mentality, it's actually kind of a constant thing. A constant complaining um, grossly exaggerates the negative. That's kind of what they were doing here. You know, if only we had died in the land of Egypt and just gravitates towards oppression. So victim mentality constantly complains, grossly exaggerates the negative, and gravitates towards oppression. They just want to go back to Egypt, go back to being oppressed, go back to their chains. Number four, a victim mentality blames problems on God. Even, even non-believers, atheists, whatever, people who are victims ultimately blame their problems on God. And that, that's kind of their excuse for, for never hoping for more, never looking for opportunity, never won because it's just, I'm destined. This is my lot that God has struck me with. The victim mentality blames the problems of God. Number five, a victim mentality is motivated by fear. Notice why why these people are responding this way is because they, they were very fearful. A victim mentality is always motivated by fear, constantly thinks fear, speaks fear, acts out upon fear. Number six, The root of a victim mentality is ultimately rebellion. And um, Joshua and Caleb kind of bring that out. They say, by by you saying these things, by you complaining, by you speaking against Moses and Aaron, you're you're rebelling against the Lord. You're rebelling against his plan. You're rebelling against his command, his love for you. You're rebelling against his delight in you, the good things he has in store for you. Verse 4, so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. So this is, they're actually planning on going back to their oppression. Verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly, I love that word, exceedingly, abundantly, More than you can ask or think, this is a good land. When people were wanting to go back to it, it grieved them so much that they tore their own clothes. Verse 8, if the Lord delights in us, that's the difference. That's what made the difference between Joshua and Caleb and the rest of Israel. They knew that the Lord delighted in them. If God be for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter how many giants are in that land. It doesn't matter how many obstacles are in the way. If God be for us, no one can be be against us. He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord. Turning away from God's promises is rebellion. It grieves me when people preach against provision. It grieves me when people preach against healing. It grieves me when people preach against authority because these are God's promises for the believer. And when people turn away and run away from the promise, run away what Jesus paid for, for us on the cross, it grieves me. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Bread, bread is a symbol of provision. That they might be great, they might be mighty, they might have great cities, they might have big walls, they might have. But that that is our provision. God is gonna turn things around because He promised that place for us. There is no power greater than God's love for us. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. God had to show up with his glory, with his presence, to stop them from stoning Joshua and Caleb for speaking truth, for speaking truth life, for speaking the promise, for being optimistic, for putting their total trust in God, for believing in the promises. Sometimes when you believe in God's promises and boldly declare them, people want to throw stones at you. People will want to shut you down. It's happened here before. It's, it's happened then in, in the wilderness, and it's probably going to happen again. So as you inherit the promised land, as you step into it, as you realize how much God loves you, how much He delights in you, know that as you step further and further into the promised land. Again, the Promised Land is an ever expanding kingdom. Wherever your foot touches, wherever you walk, wherever whatever you set your hand, there, there is great authority for the believer in, in the promised land, in his kingdom. His kingdom does not have limits. So our victory in the promised land, it it always stems from realizing that the Lord delights in us. Every promise that we attain, every promise that we step into, it it comes from that victory that we have knowing that the Lord delights in us. And when you realize that, when you realize how much God loves you, it's going to give you this attitude. You're going to have an attitude. You're going to walk with an attitude. You're going to talk with an attitude. You're going to Your attitude might even offend some people. I love what Caleb later says in Numbers 13, or he said this in Numbers 13, verse 30, just a little bit before. He said, let us go up at once and take possession. He didn't want to wait. He was was ready to go for it. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. You know what? And his mindset determined his direction. God did not stop him. God did not hold him back from what he declared that day. Him and Joshua and everyone under the age of 20 were able to step into that promised land and overcome for they were well able to take it. So your mindset determines your direction. Another thing I want to tell you too, as you step out into the promised land, this is a great point. You shall not go empty-handed. From the moment that the Israelites left Egypt, they left the house of bondage, God did not want them to be empty-handed. They were slaves. They were fleeing for their life. They were fleeing after, after centuries of oppression, after centuries of slavery, but God did not want them to go empty-handed. The moment you say yes to Jesus, you believe on Jesus, God wants to provide for you. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. He wants to provide for you everything. He wants to provide healing for you, righteousness for you, joy for you, peace for you, fulfillment for you, health for you, and of course, pr- finances for you.
1: Amen.
0: And, and uh, I, I might... Upset a few religious people tonight by my message. I actually hope I do so. Let's look at uh, Exodus three. We'll start in verse sixteen. This is a uh, really powerful. Um, I'm going to share share an aspect of this that I, I haven't really heard shared anywhere else before, and when God showed it to me, it got me really excited, and he gave me some great revelation from this account when God first showed up and spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And um, well, Moses and, um, and God Almighty, the great I Am, are having this conversation, and we're going to pick up kind of towards the end of the conversation when um, God gives Moses specific instruction on what he's to do next, how he's to lead the Israelites out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt, and into the promised land toward Canaan, toward modern-day Israel. And he says in verse 16, "'Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, "'The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, "'I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt.'" So God God has seen what has happened to them. He has seen their oppression. He has seen how they've been treated. He has seen that they've been made victims, but God did not want them to stay in that place. He wanted to move them out of victimhood into victorhood. Verse 17, I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. God was speaking you know, prophesying to him what was going to happen. Verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt, and with all my wonders, we we serve a God of wonders, a God of signs, miracles, and wonders. His wonders are not done today. He is mighty to save. I will deliver you with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that, he will let you go. I will give this people favor, So this is kind of interesting. God is saying, I'm gonna smite Egypt. There's gonna be a difference between Egypt and between Israel. I'm gonna smite them. You don't know what's gonna happen. There's gonna be a lot of smiting going on. But even after all this smiting, I'm gonna do something really supernatural. I'm gonna give you favor in their eyes. Supernatural favor. Say, I have favor. I have favor with God. I have favor with man, I have a good understanding, and I have supernatural increase. Favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So this is, this is kind of a major miracle here. These people are suddenly going to like you, going to love you, going to... And there's no explanation to it except God Almighty wanted it to happen. This has happened in my life. People who who don't serve the God of wonders like me, who who disagree with me, spiritually disagree with me, politically disagree with me, morally disagree with me about everything, but they just can't help but like me and want to give me promotion. Supernatural favor. (laughs) It shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. The moment that you enter the promised land, again, the way you enter God's kingdom is through Jesus. The moment you say yes to Jesus, he does not want you to be empty-handed. He wants to immediately begin providing for you. And verse 20, so so this this is what... Moses is to tell all of the Israelites, the million-plus Israelites, God, I, God spoke to me from a burning tree. I'm here to deliver you. I've been living out, hiding out for 40 years. You may know me from before. They once made a movie about me called The Prince of Egypt. I'm back for part two. It's a sequel that's coming out 40 years after I killed that Egyptian and ran away for my life. The sequel is better than part one. God called me to be here, I'm gonna deliver you all. And by the way, when we're leaving, ask your Egyptian owners, neighbors, bosses, people who whip you, give me articles of silver, articles of gold. Give me your clothing. Pastor Lawson, give me some gold. Steve, silver, please. Paul, nice Gucci suit tomorrow? Sure. Give me your very best. So that, that's, that's kind of miraculous. And they actually remembered. He preached this to them, and, and, and they did this the night before the Passover. They, they asked their, they all did it. Because Moses did what God told. He Moses, God told Moses, preach this. This will be your first message to the congregation of Israel. Preach that they will not go empty-handed. Preach a message of deliverance. Preach a message of power. Pre- preach a message of provision. God is what. Get the gold. Get the silver. Get the clothes. <laughs> but not only this. Moses. Moses. God. God's telling Moses. You tell them to do this, when they get the silver, when they get the gold, when they get the Rolex, when they get the chains, when they get the bling, the diamonds, the nice clothes, put it on your kids. On your sons and on your daughters. And there's something very powerful about that. God, when you step out by faith into God's promises, He doesn't want to just bless you. He wants to bless your kids. When my parents have listened to the voice of God, obeyed the voice of God, trusted that he delights in them, and stepped out further into the promised land, it didn't just bless them. It blessed their kids. I know part of the blessing that's on my life, on my brother Andrew's life, on my brother Peter's life, it's because when my dad and mom stepped out into what god was calling them to do there was something that was put on us on the sons and on the daughters on the next generation i love this this psalm psalm 112 i'm going to read the first few verses here 1 through 3 God really spoke this to me two and a half years ago about when my daughter Ada was born. God spoke this psalm to me. It says, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. When you trust in God, when you trust in his promises, when you trust in his word, when you have this awe, this respect, this this fear towards him as God Almighty, and, and, and you, you understand that He delights in you. And if He tells you to do something, you're going to delight in it because you already know that He delights in you. That's why it's easy to delight in His commandments because you understand that He delights in you. That's the key. You always have to understand that God delights in you. It doesn't work if you don't understand that. That's the foundation. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and they are not burdensome. Now you better do what he says or else. That's religion. That's 99% of what is preached from most pulpits today. When you understand that God delights in you, you're you're actually going to delight in following him. And and I love this next part. His descendants will be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth, say wealth and riches, wealth, and riches, wealth, and riches, wealth, and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever, do not preach against what God wants to bless his people with. So this is the miracle. They, they put the gold, they put the silver, they put the, the clothing on their kids. And every kid under the age of 20 when they left Egypt enters the promised land. And their clothes were not torn. I give, I give a piece, I give a new shirt to my son, my nine-year-old son, and usually within, we, we just, he wore a brand new shirt to church Sunday. He went to go play at a friend's house after church and he came in his tour. Brand new shirt. This is a miracle. For 40 years they wore this stuff. They wore they wore the gold chains of the Egyptians. They had all the bling. They had the clothes, they had the shoes. The Nike's. They didn't have any holes. You know, I, uh, as a hobby and as a way to, to earn a little money, I, I buy and sell nice watches. And my, my nine-year-old son sees what I, I do, and he's like, oh, I like that watch you got there, Dad. Can I have it? And I'm just glad I wasn't alive in Moses' day where I was commanded by God Almighty to give <laughs> this gold watch to my son Fisher. So now, Fisher, let me, let me buy you a $20 Timex off of Amazon, from Walmart, and I give it to him, and then within a week, it looks like he put it in a blender. It's cracked, it's like. You know, last night, I was on Instagram, and I stumbled across this page called Prophets in Watches. And it reveals preachers that have nice watches. And it does a close-up on their watch. <laughs> and it shows how much it's worth. And how much they're robbing from poor people. Hey, profits and watches. <laughs> Retail value. Six grand. <laughs> I actually got kind of excited. I saw I saw, you know, some of my preacher heroes wearing watches that I've actually had before. <laughs> There's Kenneth Copeland with all his Breitlings. I'm like, oh, I've had that one. I've had that one. Jeremy Pearsons, I've had that one. <laughs> Jesse Pines. I've had that one. Jesse, actually, he had a really nice watch. And uh, I, I had to repent after seeing this watch that they showed, because the spirit of covetousness came upon me. <laughs> he had this crazy Rolex, that, that uh, Like I think when it came out, you could buy it from a dealer for like sixty grand, but it's now worth two hundred thousand dollars. And knowing Jesse, you know they're they're criticizing him for wearing this watch, but he probably bought it for sixty grand, and he probably sold it for two hundred grand. And then they showed other amazing ministers, John Piper, twenty dollar Casio. I have that same watch. I actually wear it when I mow the lawn and let Fisher wear it. And Now, if you love John Piper, that's fine. I- I'd rather listen to a preacher. I don't really care what watch he's wearing. I don't care if you wear a, a $200,000 Rolex or a $20 Casio. I- I'd rather hear someone preach who understands that God delights in you and has good things in store, rather than someone who preaches that whatever happens in your life, it's because God wants it to happen. God wants, if you're, if you're sick and die, it's because God willed it. Hallelujah. Miracle. These kids are wearing $200,000 golden Rolexes through the wilderness for 40 years Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, Moses sees this great miracle at the end of his life after leading them through the wilderness. I've led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. He's just looking at all these kids. He knew them as kids. I don't know how this happened. Your sandals have not worn out on your feet. God provided for you when you left, and he's going to provide for you when you enter that promised land. You are blessed going out, and you are blessed going in. And Moses also taught them something important as you're going into the promised land, as you're going further and further into the promises, into what God has for you. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. Starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Again, this is not a hard thing to do when you understand how much he loves you, how much he delights in you. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Again, he's trying to get it to the next generation. Teach these things to your children diligently. You know, I love, I love um, that something that we're doing here at the church right now, we're actually um, coming up with a, a brand-new, spirit-filled, full-gospel children's curriculum. Nancy Sutton is here tonight. She's a, a professional curriculum writer. She's here with her daughter, Joy, who happened to be Fisher's second-grade teacher last year. And um, Pastor Lawson is overseeing the doctrine of this children's curriculum what will be diligently taught? You know, there has not been a, a strong, spirit filled kids' curriculum in a long time. I remember Gospel Bill when I was a kid. I don't think Gospel Bill has any new things out, they don't. It's been a while. We need to teach kids about who God is, who God really is, that He loves them, that He's not mad at them that he created them, that he has promises for them, that he wants to bless them, he wants to heal them, he wants to take care of them, he has a special purpose for them. They don't have to be afraid, but they can use their faith. God hasn't given them a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of a sound mind. They can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. There's nothing holding them back. They're not victims. They are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves them, and your identity is not found in the world your not your identity is not found in a system of lies your identity is found in the way in the truth in the life your identity is found in the person of Jesus. We're going to that that we take that seriously. What do you teach your children diligently? You shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build. Houses. Say houses. Houses. There is an anointing on this house for people to get houses. God spoke to, that, to me for, for several staff members about a year and a half ago that, that, that people who, who've really given their life to serving Jesus, to helping here at the church, God is going to give them houses. Nate Carter is on staff here. He was drumming tonight. God, a year and a half ago, at, at the toughest point in the market, God gave him a beautiful, beautiful house. In a great neighborhood for, for a great price. God gave Kevin and Chrissy a beautiful house, major upgrade. God, God, Ben was singing over here on the guitar. He, he's getting married in May to Sean Bloss, our children's pastor. They're, they're on, under contract for a house right now. I just heard that. I, I was just shocked. Hallelujah. If, if you, if you want to, if you need a house, if you want to own a house tonight, I, I, after I get done here in a few minutes, I, I want you to come forward. And we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you. And I believe that you're going to, God's going to give you a house. Yeah. Jared. Jared.
1: We got a testimony from India. And this person in India was watching us and started believing this. And believing that they could get a house. And they had nothing. They said they were poor. They had nothing. And they started believing God that they could get a house. And they got like a four-bedroom, two-bath house in India. It's a complete miracle. I'm telling you, it's the anointing on the Word. And it's what you believe. And if you start believing the Word, it will work for you. Praise God. And so that just that just came up. Somebody sent that. I think I gave it to you, Kevin. And uh, we actually have a family from India coming here right now. <laughs> and uh, they're driving all the way down from Parker. The kids are from India, but their parents are visiting from India, and their parents are coming. So their parents came and said, yeah, we're from India. <laughs> but this word will work wherever you're at in the whole world. And I just thought when Aaron was sharing that, I'll share. So I awesome,
0: apologize. Man. Love you. Love you, Dad. All right, uh, let's just finish this really quick here. So he's going to give you houses full of good things. Deuteronomy 6:11, which you did not fill. Hewn out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord. It's the Lord who did it. He's the one who brought you out. He's the one who brought you into the promised land. Don't forget that it's the Lord. It's all about him. And that's my last point tonight is to keep seeking Jesus. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the houses. It's not about the watches. It's not about, it's about Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom. Let's go to Matthew 6. Starting in verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Also, I'm going to add, don't worry about what your neighbor eats or what your neighbor neighbor wears. Maybe don't make Instagram pages about it in (laughs) false piety. If God doesn't want you to worry about it, then maybe don't worry about what other people wear, too. I think that can extend in that direction as well. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. When you seek, in order to seek the kingdom of God, you seek Jesus. Jesus is the kingdom of God. And seek his righteousness. If you're going to seek God's righteousness, you seek Jesus. He is the righteous branch. There is no righteousness apart from Jesus. Keep Seeking Jesus, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Just keep seeking Jesus. God will take care of everything else. You don't need to worry about what you wear, where you're going to live, about God, even about how am I going to find a wife. God, God knows what you need. God knows your heart. God knows all these things more He's going to take care of that. He's going to take care of you relationally. He's going to take care of you financially. He's going to take care of your kids, of your grandkids, of your health, your peace, your purpose. He's going to take care of all of it. Keep seeking Jesus. And this is my conclusion. Jesus sees you right now. He sees you and he loves you. He delights greatly in you. I believe that when Jesus thinks about you, Even right now, I believe he's thinking about you. He he knows what's going on in your heart, in your life, and he loves you tremendously. He's so joyful about you, just thinking about you. God, he gets so excited. He starts just jumping around in heaven, just thinking about you, Judy, just thinking about you, Rachel, just thinking about you, Devin. Devin gets excited when he worships. He jumps around. I, I believe Jesus is jumping around just thinking about Devin. And you know what? When you delight in him, everything's going to work out. Keep delighting in him. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.